they still don't understand ask this question so in on the 13th chapter of my mindfulness in plain english i have explained it uh, to some extent but still not complete there's much more to that that you can get only when you practice you begin to see you begin to uh, find something in you and the whole chapter makes bring some sense when you practice it to go along with that we have to have a clear comprehension clear comprehension means that we have to understand it perfectly clearly uh, in order to make a sense out of what we do if we try to practice with without uh, understanding clear comprehension then we simply can continue dropping in the dark not knowing where we go so put the narrow it down to a very uh, very beautiful word called clear comprehension and then commentators expanded it and put it into four steps they are called four kinds of clear comprehension and they have taken this information from the buddha's discourse from other places in other places he has given even some examples of clear comprehension one number one of them is uh, domain but let us take it doesn't matter which one we start with there's no any particular order in clear comprehension clear comprehension of the purpose uh, suitability domain and non delusion clear comprehension of the purpose let me start with the purpose before we start the domain what is the purpose we have to understand the purpose of our meditation and buddha has given five purposes what are they purification of beings that is purification of our mind why buddha started with the purification of mind you know the entire practice is for purification of mind why is this so important because when we think of something say something and do something with impure state of mind suffering follows us like the cart that follows the the hoof of the ox that pulls the cart this is a very powerful simile when we do something we do something think something and say something with impure state of mind the result is very heavy that follows like the cart follows the foot or hooves of the ox that pulls the cart how many people have seen ox pulling a cart you don't see them very much these days <laughs> you see driving automobiles motorcycles cars buses planes not too many people are familiar with ox or bull pulling a cart we have seen it this simile is very beautiful to remember the bull is pulling the cart not with pleasure not for entertainment not as a fun he is tied to the yoke <laughs> the driver sitting in the cart is not a very compassionate person he is under pressure he has to make him pull the cart the cart itself is not the empty cart is full of merchandise heavy and the road that the car, the bull has to pull the cart is not very smooth road not paved road not carpeted road it is full of uh, puddles ups and downs winding gravel narrow 
uphill, downhill road. And the very the driver who is very uh, under working under pressure wants the ox or boat to pull it and run very quickly on this bad road. And if he is slow, he will curse him, kick him, whip him, and force him to die. Just imagine the bull pulling this cart undergoes tremendous pain, suffering. Buddha said, similarly, when we do something with bad, with impure mind, only impure mind, we say something, think something, act in a certain way, the results are always like that, very, very painful, heavy. And therefore, in order to make our, the, the road we are going is also not a smooth road. So, everything becomes smooth if the mind is clean, pure. For this reason, Buddha said, we meditate in order to purify the mind. Why? To make life light. You know the word enlightenment? Enlightenment has two meanings. One, making it very bright, lightened. And the other meaning is making things light, not heavy. So one who attains enlightenment is called in Pali, Ohitabhara. One who has laid down the burden. It is this burden that we lay down. The, the things that we do with impure mind, we lay down. And life becomes very light bright. So the very first purpose of meditation is to purify the mind in order to make life light. We make the life bright. Is this not enough? Benefit of meditation? This alone is enough. Let alone others. So we meditate for that. And there's a huge book like this, written by Venerable Buddha also on this topic, purification. There are seven stages of purification. Purification of uh, morality, purification of mind, purification of uh, views, purification of doubt, purification of uh, the path and non-path, purification of the the method and the purification of knowledge and vision. Seven stages of purification. All this, all this eventually clean our mind to make life peaceful and happy. Then, second purpose followed from the first one is uh, Overcoming sorrow and lamentation. Why we have sorrow and lamentation? Because we do not understand things exactly as they are. Because of, uh, as Buddha said, over, to overcome covetousness and grief. It is because of covetousness or greed that we have sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair. And the third purpose is to overcome suffering and grief. Fourth purpose is to tread the path leading to attain, attaining liberation. And the fifth purpose is to attain enlightenment, liberation. These are the fivefold purposes. So clear comprehension is the purpose the purpose of five purpose, five four purpose. Then we have to understand these five purpose, five purposes. Then we start meditation. Why we meditate? In order to clean the mind. Why we meditate? In order to get rid of sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. 
Why we meditate? In order to get rid of our suffering. Why we meditate? In order to follow the path to act to, that leads to liberation. And we meditate to liberate ourselves, which is called attaining enlightenment or Nibbana. Then the domain, domain, what is the domain? Our territory, to protect our territorial integrity. <laughs> what is our territory that we have to protect? We have to be within that territory. Our territory is our own body and mind. These five aggregates that we have, that is our territory. And we always must come back to our own territory. If we move away from our territory, we will be in trouble. This is our laboratory, this is our domain, this is the field, this is the territory that we work with. That is our body and mind, which sometimes is called five aggregates such as form, feeling, perceptions, volitional formations and consciousness. These are the five aggregates. And we work with them. And we always keep coming back to them. This is called, uh, this is called mindful reflection. There's a reflection called unmindful reflection and mindful reflection. What is mindful reflection? Buddha, mindful reflection is uh, in Pali. Pali words, words have uh, real meaning, uh, if we understand Pali roots, Pali word, that gives us a very uh, clear meaning of the sentence. Pali word is Yoniso Manasikara. Yoniso means uh, reflecting from the root. Roots are, there are six roots. What are the six roots? On the unwholesome side, Three, wholesome side, three. What is unwholesome side, three unwholesome roots? Greed, hatred, and delusion. These are unwholesome roots. What are the wholesome roots? Non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Non-greed means letting go. Thought of generosity. Generosity doesn't mean sharing material things. Generosity means without holding, let greed go away. Non-hatred means uh, metta, practicing loving friendliness. Non-cruelty, uh, non-delusion means wisdom, insight. These are the wholesome roots. All the noble things arise from insight, wisdom. So. Whenever certain things arise in our mind, we must see whether this is arisen from greed, hatred, or delusion, or non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Normally we don't do that, we simply get carried away with whatever arises in our mind. We never look at the root. So Buddha gave a very, very, very uh, beautiful simile to make it retain in our mind the, the meaning of mindful reflection. Uh, he explained in a very beautiful way, giving a simile. <coughs> a simile is, I hope you will not forget the simile. Simile is the behavior of a dog and lion. When you, when you throw something to a dog, like a frisbee or stick or rock or something, what the dog would do? Dog would run after it, grab it. If you have trained the dog to bring it back to you, he will bring it back, otherwise he would keep chewing on it. That is the dog's behavior. Throw, he runs after it, Catch it. If you throw the same thing to a lion, lion will not go, go after that stick. Lion will go after you. 
Lion wants to find out the root. He wants to know where it came from. See, mindful reflection is always going to the root. Unmindful reflection is going away from the root. Unmindful mindful reflection is like a dog's behavior. Mindful reflection is like lion's behavior. And Buddha said, mindful person, it, it doesn't mean that that person will become selfish. The person wants to know why is this happening. That person is try, not trying to blame anybody outside. Nor does he want to blame himself or herself. Impartially he wants to know why it is happening. Where it comes from. You know this, uh, for instance, greed for instance. Greed, we don't plan to have greed. Greed just arises. When situation arises, greed arises. We don't plan to have hatred. When situation arises, hatred arises. We don't plan to have a delusion. When situation arises, delusion arises. Why? Why hatred arises? Why greed arises? Hatred arises, delusion arises, because we are not mindful reflecting. When we mindfully reflecting, as soon as we encounter situation, we just see the situation exactly as it is, without letting the mind generate greed, hatred or delusion. And therefore, mind always remains impartial, fair, clean, and to, un to understand the situation exactly as it is. For this reason, mindful reflection is important. Where do we make this mindful reflection? We reflect on our own mental state, because this is where everything arises. Things arise from our mind. As I mentioned this morning, when the mind is wandering, we say mind is wandering. Where does it wander? Mind cannot go anywhere. Although we say mind is uh, going to the moon, mind doesn't go to the moon leaving the body here. Mind doesn't go to Alaska leaving the body behind. Mind doesn't go anywhere. What really happens is that we have collected so much information and stuck in our mind, in our brain, and they keep playing their role. They keep coming back to our conscious mind, and the conscious mind keeps bringing more and more and more information and become we get carried away with those things. All these hap are happening within the mind, inside ourselves. And therefore, when we mindfully reflect, we don't uh, become uh, selfish or we don't become, uh, we don't try to blame ourselves. We just to look at the whole thing, how many trillions of concepts that we have put in our mind. <laughs> Concept of distance, concept of color, concept of size, concept of shape, concept of sound. So many concepts we have stopped, stopped in our mind. They come to play. So, in order to calm down, in order to reduce it, we immediately recognize it and then we see them coming and going, coming and going, coming and going, you will never see one single experience, thoughts, memory, idea, staying the same all the time. They are coming, staying and disappearing very quickly. When we see this, it is no more different 
from what is happening to the breath. The advantage of using the breath is that it does not have this interpretation, concepts, greed, hatred and so on. It is simply pure air moving in and out. So we can come back to that. For this reason and also to see the changes impermanent of all our experiences. We try to come back to our own body and mind. That is the domain. And we have to understand it very clearly. Then the clear comprehension of the suitability. Suitability is another very important understanding. This is where many a time people go little off the track. Suitability is we must, whenever something happens, we must ask ourselves, ask a question. Is this suitable for attaining this goal of purifying the mind, attaining liberation? Is this suitable, this meditation subject, this practice, is it suitable? For instance, uh, when uh, greed arises, we try to cultivate non-greed. We must ask, is it suitable to get rid of greed? Yes. When anger arises, we try to cultivate loving friendliness. We must ask ourselves, is it suitable to overcome my anger? Yes. So, we ask, is this suitable to proceed with the practice? If we cultivate friendliness, if we cultivate the thought of generosity, thought of non-delusion, we find answers, positive answers, and we follow that. And then, clear comprehension of non-delusion. Non-delusion is another area that uh, <coughs> many uh, meditators uh, find it difficult to understand because itself, the word itself is non-delusion. We have uh, read or heard, sometimes we even see, how much they got confused with non-delusion. Suppose you practice mindfulness and uh, you walk mindfully, do walking meditation with mindfulness. You walk uh, maybe 100 meters and then suddenly you remember, oh, I have not been mindful, then what would you do? Some people, in some places, we have read and heard, that they walk back to the place where they started to pick up mindfulness as if they have left their cap there, so that they can go back and pick it up. Can you find mindfulness like that? This is not a kind of a lost and found object for you to walk back and find it and pick it up. Some people literally do that. Suppose you eat, you know, you ate um, one half of your plate and then uh, you remember, oh, I have not been mindful. What are you going to do? You, are you going to bring it all back and then start <laughs> off low again? You cannot do that. The Buddha's practical advice is, you know, I have seen people, they lift their hand when it comes to the mouth, they drop the hand. Why? Because they have not been mindful. So they have to pick up mindfulness from the beginning again. They lift a fork or knife or something, and one time, second, first time or second time, they had not been mindful, so they drop it and then lift it mindfully. That is a silly way, that is what is called delusion. So there has to be non-delusion. Clearly understanding of non-delusion. What it means? What it means is when you have forgotten to be mindful, from that point onward you try to be mindful. You understand, oh, 
I have been unmindful for ten minutes. You even don't know how long you have been unmindful. You know that you have not been mindful for a certain period of time. You can never bring that time back. Gone time is gone forever. Gone means gone. So, and this is not only the so, so little even past. And Buddha said, "Yoga pubbe pamajita pachaso na pamajati." So, imamlo kampabhasati abhamuto chandima. That means. If somebody has been unmindful in the past, we don't know how long how long past it is, a day, two days, or even a year, have been unmindful. Then the moment the person understood that that person has not been mindful for a certain period of time, the very moment the person realizes that he or she has not been mindful, that very moment the person begins to cultivate mindfulness. From that moment, the person must think, I have not been mindful. That is why I did so many silly things, silly mistakes, silly words, silly, th- silly thoughts I had in the past. I have not been mindful. And therefore, let me be mindful from now on. Buddha says, such a person shines like the moon, free from clouds. That person begins to shine, forgetting all the past. Past is past, it's gone. You can never bring it back. You know, this is very beautiful advice. Instead of repenting, regretting, mourning and, you know, blaming and accusing oneself and accusing, blaming others, forget about it. Forget about the past. Who doesn't make mistakes? Who is perfect? No one is perfect. Feeling guilty all the time, you know, accusing oneself and being depressed and uh, so forth. You are not going to gain anything except destroying your health, except destroying the opportunity that you have to practice mindfulness. Buddha said, just let it go. You know, in practical life, Buddha has shown, in practical life, people have uh, even attained enlightenment. You know, man called Angulimala, I think most of you know Angulimala, who had killed 999 people, counted, and he killed many more. He did not even remember how many more. From the time he started counting, he killed 999 people. The serial killer, so to say, in today's terms, serial killer. Buddha met him, instantly he told Dhamma, and this fellow simply completely let go of the past, went with the Buddha. Buddha gave very few little instructions. He attained even enlightenment. If he were to keep all these memories of killing so many people. You know, when he killed people, they were not just running, okay, put, cut my head like this. They were struggling. They themselves wanted to live. They were crying, wheeling, weeping, and, and begging, and uh, struggling, and so forth. He remembers all this. When you try, you try to kill somebody, that person tries everything possible to live. Angulimala remembers all this. But as soon as Buddha met him, talked to him, gave him advice, and Buddha said, stop. Stop killing. He stopped not only physically, even mentally he stopped. Let go. And there were uh, prostitutes whose life was completely prostitution. When they came to the Buddha, Buddha gave very beautiful advice, Dhamma talk, they completely forgot about their previous life. Thieves came to the Buddha and this is the advice he gives them. Don't think of the past. Atita nanu socanti. 
ನಪ್ಪ ಜಪ ಮಾಡಲ್ಗತ ಡೋಂಟ್ ಥಿಂಕ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಓಲ್ ಅನ್ಪ್ಲೆಸೆಂಟ್ ಮಿಸರೆಬಲ್ ಪೇನ್ಫುಲ್ ಟ್ಯಾಶ್ ಲೆಟ್ ಇಟ್ ಗೋ ಸೊ ದಿಸ್ ನಾನ್ ಡಿಲ್ಯೂಷನ್ ಇನ್ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಷನ್ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ becoming mindful of unmindfulness becoming mindful of unmindfulness also is mindfulness and that helps the person to move forward with hope to gain some wonderful results otherwise if we were to keep uh, repenting regretting the past who hasn't committed anything wrong in their life who hasn't everybody has done something or other unmindfully so the clear concentration of non delusion is means that we have to clearly understand not to get confused with the past or the future but to stay with the present and move on cleaning the mind as every time something arises at that very moment we try to clean the mind as it arises without waiting too long to clean it in in future so these are what you call clear comprehension four clear comprehension one is <coughs> clear comprehension of the purpose second is the domain third is the suitability fourth is non delusion and then be mindful of the body that is our domain be mindful of the feelings that is our domain be mindful of the mind that is our domain be mindful of various mental activities we may say phenomena or mind objects or in pali it's called dhamma these are what you call four foundations of mindfulness now we don't have time to discuss actually know these things in detail but just to give you an outline of our practice mindful of the becoming mindful of the body in the body we begin with the the breath breath is one body in the body breath is called breath body it is called breath body because breath has all the characteristics of a body body has form form has elements four basic elements and the breath has these four basic elements and buddha himself mentioned that this is one of the bodies the breath is one of the bodies when we become mindful of one of these bodies say of the breath it represents whatever else is happening to the rest of the body what happens to the breath is what happens to the rest of the body what happens to the breath breath is changing appearing disappearing the rest of the body also is like that it's changing all the time so the whole uh, mindfulness practice sort of pivots around this <coughs> three uh, characteristic impermanence number 1 why we want to harp on impermanence so much because that is very very important aspect you know many people even before the buddha were talking about impermanence like philosophers scientists and mathematicians and just average ordinary persons talk about impermanence when we say talk about impermanence sometimes people ask how do we understand impermanence i remember recently we had a retreat uh, somewhere and there was a very learned person you know medical doctor he asked me how do we understand impermanent i said you don't understand impermanent have you ever 
have you not noticed when you in your science laboratory you take a sample of blood from somebody and put under the powerful microscope and look through the powerful microscope uh, then what do you see there that little blood drop of blood is changing in all the all the little cells are moving changing you can see it right there you can see the uh, chemical cha- reaction changing you can see the sugar changing you can see the uh, mineral in, in it changing you can see the acid in there changing whatever you see want to see there everything is there changing then he said oh we call it uncertainty uncertainty they do use the term change impermanent they call uncertainty using different term but the function is the same it was uh, Schopenhauer one day somebody asked him uh, is uh, atoms movement is vertical horizontal diagonal moving in uh, one direction 2 degrees 10 degrees 50 degrees it is moving uh, at right angle for each question he said no 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 then he asked is it static no so changing all the time changing so even the scientists they can see the changes they understand whole thing the whole universe is changing every time little thing in the universe is in the state of flux changing 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 even this huge big sun is changing burning so many millions of helium to give us light it must burn change and so forth it must go in in circle rotating the earth everything is changing then what have they done with this knowledge they know that they are changing changing and they and so forth. what have they done only person who use this knowledge to build up a method to liberate from suffering is the buddha he too so impermanence other people saw impermanence and then understood that yes, things are changing but they did not do anything with it it remained to be a theory philosophy and they use various material things but they never used it to address basic human predicament basic existentialistic problem of suffering the buddha is the only one who used the knowledge understanding the truth of impermanence to liberate us from suffering how we have suffering we all have all kind of rings <laughs> earrings and nose rings and you know various the toerings and so forth these are personal individual selections but there is one ring we don't select but it is common to all existing beings that ring is called suffering <laughs> we all have it and impermanence also is everywhere everything is impermanent so would the form a way to get rid of suffering using the knowledge of impermanence that is because of impermanence we have suffering not purely because of impermanence but because of our great desire greed for impermanent things we are greedy for impermanent things we desire for impermanent things can you imagine anything that you want to get which is permanent anything permanent you want to get think of it 
there's nothing. Whatever we try to grab, whatever we try to get, whatever we try to become attached to, is impermanent. So, we have a pleasure for becoming, getting attached to something. We have a pleasure. Is that pleasure permanent? No. Why? Because the object we are grabbing, clinging, is changing. The mind that is trying to enjoy is changing. So, because of the uh, impermanent nature of all existing things that we try to grab, that we try to hold on to, we have suffering. Because the desire is insatiable. Suffering is, is, in other words, is the insatiability of desire. Insatiability of desire is called suffering. Why, why it is insatiable? Because the object that we are trying to hold on to is imperm are impermanent, and the mind itself is impermanent. Greed also itself is changing from moment to moment, time to time, situation to situation. And that is why Buddha, when Buddha defined greed, he said, Pono bhavika nandiraga sarata tatra tatra nandini. The greed, Buddha defined, it repeats itself. Pono bhavika means re-becoming. Why? One situation is not enough. It doesn't give any satisfaction, so it becomes another. And Nandiraga Sagata, it has attachment clinging to one object here and next object, another object over there. And here it tries to delight, there it tries to, tries to delight. So delight, clinging, attachment, always moving, changing, changing, giving us not full satisfaction. That is what is called suffering. So Buddha saw this nature and therefore, see from the very beginning of meditation we were suggesting to people to watch changes, impermanence, not just for the fun of it, but to understand the truth, true nature of it. When we see the truth, Knowing, seeing, understanding the truth brings us solace, comfort and peace. So long as we do not see the truth, do not understand the truth, we get disappointed, upset, confused and keep going, dropping in the dark, not knowing what to do. Once we know the reality, then we accept it live with it, what else can we do? When you see impermanence, what else can you do? Can you make it permanent? Even if you attain enlightenment, you are not going to stop impermanence. Attaining enlightenment doesn't, doesn't mean that you make impermanent permanent. Even the Buddha attained enlightenment, did he stop impermanence? Did he make, imper did he make impermanent permanent? Sometimes it occurs to you when we say, because of the impermanent we suffer, then when we attain enlightenment, we won't suffer because we stop impermanence. That's not true. You cannot stop impermanence. What they did, what we do, is that let impermanent things be impermanent and we don't try to grab, we don't try to cling to it. Let it be impermanent. We use them understanding, knowing these are temporary things. These are changing. With this understanding, if we live, our life will be reasonably satisfactory. And will be perfectly satisfactory when we attain full liberation from clinging to impermanent things which is uh, not going to happen very quickly, but that is our goal of practicing meditation. Slowly, gradually, we reach the goal. So, that purification of mind, 
naturally happens when we slowly let this chip off this clinging, clinging, let it go, little by little, little by little, then we will get there. We cannot stop it all of a sudden, but it definitely happens. And then that is what the Buddha called Upasama Sukha, the happiness of uh, peace, happiness of stopping all this clinging, Upasama Sukha, peace of happiness by seeing the truth. As I have mentioned uh, many times in the past in my talk, that uh, see the truth is the tastiest of all the tastes. Is that what you have heard? No, you always hear truth is bitter, bitter truth. You don't hear the truth is tastiest. The Buddha said among the tastes, the tastiest is the truth. Satchang have sadhu tarang rasana. When he was answering a question of demon called Alavaka, Buddha Alavaka asked, What is the tastiest of all the tastes? Buddha said, Satchang have sadhu tarang rasana. Truth is the tastiest of all the tastes. You know, it is very sweet, very tasty, if we understand the truth. So long as we do not understand the truth, truth is very bitter. So long as we have garbage in our mind, truth is bitter. When the mind is clear of garbage, when the mind is pure and clean, that is one of the purposes of meditation, purify the mind. When we purify the mind, when the mind is pure, then we taste the the tastiest, that is Upasamasukha, the truth of cessation of grief. And that is the goal. I hope we try to achieve this goal slowly but surely, slowly.